This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. Today I want us to continue with this idea of reset as we're walking through these spiritual disciplines. I believe that today we'll probably conclude this thought, but I want to dive right in with the idea of our worship. Worship is a very serious uh, action. It's a very serious discipline that we must participate in as children of God. And I want us to look at Psalm 29 verse 2 as we kind of dive into this. I'll give you just a moment to get there um, and find that. Again, if you're just jumping on and joining us, Thank you so much. We're so glad that you're here and you're part of this worship experience today. If you would text the word here to 910-401-3300, we would love to know that you're a part of what's going on. You could also text any prayer requests or any needs that you have that we can help you pray for to that same number as well. Psalm 29 verse 2 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory, do his name, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Ascribe to the Lord the glory, the glory do his name. I want us to uh, look at three different truths about worship over the next couple minutes. I promise I won't keep you very long here as we're diving into this, but I want to tell you, first of all, worship is not a spectator sport. Worship is not a spectator sport. Uh, a spectator is a person who watches a game, a show, or another event. Can I just tell you that my worship and my warfare through my worship are no game? They're very serious business. There is a warfare going on all around me. And when I begin to worship, it's no show. It's an all-out war between heaven and hell, between angels and demons, between good and evil. My worship is not a game, and it's not a show for someone to sit back and spectate. You with me? I'm just going to be real, and I'm going to be honest with you today. Worship is not a spectator sport. There's nothing that, it can, uh, that can be about it because my worship is not a game. Your worship should never be a game. It's not a show and it's nothing to sit back and watch. Unfortunately, though, we have so many spectators when it comes to worship, specifically in our worship times together when we are gathering in person, and uh, which is weird to even think about the idea that there would be a time we wouldn't be gathered in person. But hey, we're living in this new day, this new age, and we're kind of walking through trying to find our way. So you're home today. But whenever you're, you're in this more traditional setting here in the room, there are so many spectators in the room. There's so many people that are not engaged. There's so many people that are not uh, Uh, being influencers in the time of worship. So here's the thing about spectators. There is a cost to spectate. On February 19th, 2019, Sports Illustrated uh, wrote an article that uh, I'm going to quote it here in this part. It's talking about the game between uh, Duke University and UNC Chapel Hill that would take place the following day on February 20th. It says the stakes are high for Wednesday's matchup between the number one Duke Blue Devils and the number eight North Carolina Tar Heels. And so are the game's ticket prices. According to StubHub, the average listing price for a Wednesday's ACC rivalry game in Durham is currently $4,670 on the secondary market. The cheapest ticket 
to just get in the door is a whopping $2,927, including the estimated fees. The most expensive ticket sold by Vivid Seats was $10,652, which is nearly double the $5,400 price for the steepest ticket to last season's game. $10,000 to get in and spectate this game. That's not to get on the court. That's not to bounce a basketball. That is to get in and watch and spectate the game. There is a cost to spectate. Let's be honest. Other than the glory of saying that they were there and they witnessed and experienced that game, they, they walk out the door and they walk out the same way they walked in. Other than that, that say, the, the glory of saying I was at that ball game, other than the experience of being in the room for, for those couple hours, when they walked out the door, they walked out with nothing more than they walked in with. Why? Because they were simply spectators. It cost them a whole lot to spectate, yet they walked out without anything. The struggle with a spectator in worship, though, is that they walk out the door and they have nothing to show with ever, forever being in the presence of God. In reality, God's, although God's presence was all around them and although they had every opportunity to tap in to the presence, they never actually took their place in the game and made any kind of difference. Therefore, they walk out the same way they walked in. Psalm 66 verse 4 says, all the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. If all the earth is going to worship the Lord and all the earth does worship the Lord uh, and does sing praises to him, what makes us think or feel like our worship could ever be a spectator sport? If the very grass that's growing outside and the very leaves on the trees would, would ripple and roll in their worship, what would ever make me think I have the ability and I have the capability to be a spectator and not a practicer and not a game changer, not a participant, if you will, in the game of worship? We are not called to be spectators of worship. It's not a spectator sport. Jesus is making his entry into Jerusalem and the people are crying, Hosanna, praise be to the king. And the Pharisees step in, they question him, they try to, to tell Jesus, quieten down those people. And Jesus looks at them and says, if those people were silent, the very rocks would be praising me. The very rocks would be worshiping my names. The stones would cry out. Family, I'm just telling you that if you can't take an opportunity to worship the Lord, you can't take an opportunity to lift up your hands and use your voice and glorify. God, you are so good. You're worthy of every praise. God, your blessings are, are bountiful in my life. If you can't take a moment to worship the Lord and you can't get off the bench and participate in your worship, then I'm sorry to tell you, but the very gravel in your driveway is going to do it for you. You're going to miss out. The rocks will receive the blessing for your worship. It's not a spectator sport. There are to be no spectators Worship, worship is meant to have participants, people actively engaged, not sitting on the sidelines watching. My worship is no game. My worship is war, war between heaven and hell. Secondly, uh, I want to tell you that worship is not about you. Worship has nothing to do with you whatsoever. The verse that we read in the beginning Psalm 29 verse 2 said, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Ascribe the worth 
to the Father. Ascribe the glory. Ascribe who he really is. Give him what's deserved to him. I'm sorry, friend. There's nothing in that verse that has anything to do with you. There's nothing that has anything to do with me. It's not about what I can receive. It's not about what I can get. It's all about ascribing the glory and the honor to the Lord that he's due. Not that, that, that he doesn't earn or that he doesn't deserve. He is, he's worthy of everything we could ever give, every breath that could ever enter my lungs. God's worthy of that. Unfortunately, worship isn't about how we feel in the moment. I'm sorry, there's times when I walk in the door where I'm mad, frustrated, I'm aggravated, I'm tired. That can have absolutely nothing to do with my worship. Worship is not about how I feel in the moment. It's not about my situation, my circumstance. Worship isn't about my personal preference. I am to ascribe the glory to the Father that's due his name, regardless of where I am and regardless of what I'm going through. We have discussed already uh, several weeks back when we were talking about fasting that our physical actions bring spiritual movement. It's the same in worship as it is in fasting. I know that people are different and I know there's some people that are shy. There's some people that are quiet and they like to sit calmly. But I'm just telling you, friends and family, as you're home in your living room today, your physical action is going to bring a spiritual movement over and over in the word. And I'm going to share this with you uh, in just a, in a couple minutes. But over and over in the word, we see God move and we see direct action that should be taking place as part of our worship. I, I love this and I brought it up a couple weeks back, either on a Wednesday night or a Sunday. I don't remember, but you were reading uh, Genesis chapter 8 a, a while back and uh, in our Bible reading plan. I hope that you've been keeping up with that and you're continuing to do that. You were reading Genesis chapter 8 and Noah had just built an ark and God had just flooded the earth. He had wiped out all creation. And when they finally made it off the, the boat, they finally made it off the ark, the word says in Genesis chapter 8, verses 21 and 22, and when the Lord smelled the, uh, the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I'll never curse the ground again because of man. Well, why did, what did he smell? Well, here's the deal. Noah built an altar. Noah immediately, when he got off the boat, the first thing he did was he built an altar to offer up sacrifices, to offer up worship to the Lord. And he offered his sacrifices and that aroma, that sweet fragrance of worship changed the heart of God. It was in that moment that God said, I am making a covenant with man. Man's evil, his intentions are bad, but I'm making a covenant and I'll never wipe off all creation off the earth again. It will not take place. It was Noah's physical action of building an altar and recognizing that God brought the covenant between, uh, recognizing that God brought the covenant between God and man. The physical action brought the spiritual movement. We all, I already said, have our own form of worship. We all have uh, our own reservations in the way we feel, but family, I got to tell you, our worship has to include some physical action. There's no way around that. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable uh, to God, which is your spiritual worship. We are to sacrifice ourselves. We're to sacrifice our own uh, feelings, our own situations, our own personal preferences. I'm supposed to let, lay my body down as a living sacrifice. That means I don't have to physically die, but I do have to kill off some things so that I can be a sacrifice to worship. Well, what does that look like? I've got a, a list of passages of scripture here that I want to walk through. Psalm 95, 6 says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Let us worship, let us bow down and kneel. That's a physical action that takes place. Why? Because God is our maker. Isaiah uh, 
12, 5 says, Sing praises to the Lord, for he's done gloriously. Let this be made known to the earth. Sing praises. Open your mouth and sing praises. Why? Because his glory should be made known to the earth. Colossians 3, 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it be deep down inside of you. Uh, and it's going to teach you and, and, and admonish one another in all wisdom. But then it says, Singing psalms and hymns. And spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. I don't have to come in and begrudgingly sing songs when a song comes on the radio. I don't have to begrudgingly sit and listen to that music, but rather I open my mouth and I sing psalms and songs and spiritual songs with a thankful heart. Ephesians 5, 19 says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making a joyful, um, um, making a melody to the Lord with your heart. I love this. We've been given a voice. You've been given a noisemaker, an instrument. It is who you are. It's your very being. The way you talk every day is meant to be used to glorify and worship the Lord. Why? Because your physical actions bring spiritual movement. Uh, we roll on and in Psalm 47, 1, it says, clap your hands, all your people shout to God with loud songs of joy. I'm sorry, but I can't come into the house and, and I can't be, but just so reverent. Do we have to have order? Absolutely. I can't be uh, crazy in places. There has to be some order, but God give me an instrument. He gave me some way to make some noise. He gave me a voice to shout. And what are those to be used for? They're to be used to give him glory. It requires some physical action. 1 Timothy 2.8 um, says, I desire then that in every place men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Psalm 134 verse 2 says, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. It is biblical, friends, for us to lift up our hands and us to glorify the Lord. It's not about who's looking at us. It's not about uh, who I, what attention I can get. It is biblical that my hands be lifted to give glory and reverence and honor to the Lord. Psalm uh, 142, uh, 141 verse 2 says, let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Why do I lift up my hands in worship? I lift up my hands in worship as a sacrifice. It doesn't always feel good. My arms get tired. They get, I, I, don't, I don't feel like doing it sometimes, but it's not about me. It's not about my feelings. It's not about my personal preference. It's about offering up a sacrifice and my hands lifted the Lord sees as the evening sacrifice. We're called to lift up our hands. Lamentations 3 verse 41 says, let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven. We can keep going on and on, but hopefully you get the point. We as Christians, especially those that are experiencing the, the alive power, the living spirit in our life, should always be ready to lift up our voice, lift up our hands and lift up our shouts, our hearts and our songs to worship the Lord. It's a sacrifice, but it's supposed to be. Family, it's not about you. Your worship has nothing to do with you. It's all about ascribing worth to God, our Father, Creator, Lord, Savior, and friend. The third thing I want to tell you is worship brings fulfillment and freedom. You read a couple weeks back from Genesis chapter 30, something that jumped off the page at me that was just so interesting. Leah, Jacob's wife, was blessed because she had been hated. She was hated by Jacob. Since hers and Jacob's relationship ever began, she was the weaker, the lesser of her sister, Rachel. 
the whole way that she came to be in a marriage relationship with Jacob was interesting and deceitful. She'd always been second to her sister. And she's trying to please her husband. She's trying to please man. In Genesis chapter 29, verses 31 through 35, I'm going to read this to you. It says, when the Lord saw Leah, that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren, and Leah conceived and born a son. And she called his name Reuben, for she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Pay attention. She's looking for the love of her husband. She's looking for the love of man. Verse 33, she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard me and that I'm hated, has given me a son also. She called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son. Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I've borne him three sons. Therefore, she called his name Levi. Constantly looking for the approval of, her, of man, looking for the approval of her husband. That leaves us so empty in my personal life, when I've looked for adoration and I've looked for the, the approval and the attaboy, if you will, from man, I've been failed so many times and I'm left so empty, so discontented. Verse 35, though, says she conceived again and bore a son. And she, this time she said, I'll praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah, which we know means praise. And she ceased bearing. You know why I believe she ceased bearing? Because in that moment, she found contentment. She was no longer looking for the approval of her husband. She was no longer looking for the approval of man. She no longer needed to be loved by man. She now had praised the Lord, and through her worship, she had found fulfillment and contentment, and she ceased bearing kids. No longer did she have to perform. No longer did she have to produce, because now she's lifted up her praise to the Father, and she's found all the fulfillment and contentment that she needed. It wasn't until she quit looking for the approval of man that she actually was able to find this contentment. We're created to worship, and worship brings fulfillment and contentment by recognizing God is the maker of heaven and earth. By realizing that all we have and all we are is his. For realizing that he protects us, he provides for us, that he truly cares about every aspect of our life and that he truly cares for us. When we, we find the fullness of who he is and we ascribe worth to that, we can't help but be fulfilled. We can't help but be content. You're filling that God-shaped hole at that point, realizing that God is all we really need and all he's asking for us is to worship him. Not only is there, there a fulfillment that comes with worship, but there's also a freedom. I laid the foundation that uh, using our voices and lifting our hands and clapping our hands, we should be doing those things. But the truth is, is that when we do those, there's a freedom that comes. It's amazing to me. I remember uh, when I was a young middle school boy going to my first, my first time at a youth group, my first experience in a youth group at all. And I was very shy. I was very closed in. It, it really wasn't like me. I didn't like it. And, and this youth pastor did something that I'll never forget. He did something that was uh, profound in my life. When it came time to sing the worship songs together, this youth pastor had, had all of the teenagers line up in the front of the, the area, the little a sanctuary area, if you will. We lined up in front of the stage and we all joined hands. And when we joined hands, we lifted up those hands together in worship. 
I had never lifted my hands. It was scary to me. It was weird to me. I didn't like the concept, the idea that anybody, why, why would I lift my hands? What's going to happen? I mean, is heaven about to fall? Is what's about to take place? For me, it was just so abstract and so weird. I wanted nothing to do with simply lifting up my hands to the Lord in worship. That youth pastor changed my life. Because when I lifted up my hands, not even by my own might, but I was standing between somebody on each side of me that when they lifted their hands, my hands that were holding theirs automatically went up. And when our hands got up, we released each other's hands and and all of a sudden there we stand worshiping the Lord with our hands lifted. You know why I remember that moment so vividly and why I remember uh, that experience so vividly? Because there was so much freedom that came from that. So much freedom. You know why we have a hard time with this? This is interesting. Maybe you've been in a worship service before and you thought, yeah, those people are lifting their hands, but I want to hold on to this pew. And you're, you're holding on to the back of the chair, the back of the pew. And you're like, I don't want to lift my hands. I'm not going to sing. I don't want to be embarrassed. People are going to look at me. You know why it's so difficult? It's difficult because the devil doesn't want you to worship. I'm just going to be real. It's difficult because the devil does not want you to worship. I remember as a young boy being so convinced that I was going to look weird, that, that I was going to be weird, that I would be the only one with my hands lifted, that I would be the only one doing something crazy, that I'd be doing something wrong. I remember being convinced and, and that I didn't need to lift my hands, and I, I could almost do it in my mind, if you will. I remember standing at times and, and just thinking, Lord, I'm raising my hands in my mind. I worship you. They're lifted, and I don't actually physically have to do this because my hands are lifted high to you. As crazy as that seems now, maybe some of you have done the same thing. I remember thinking it would be enough. But here's the thing. I rebuke every one of those lies off of your mind in the name of Jesus. Those are straight up lies. You're not weird. You're not going to be weird. You're not going to do something wrong. You can't do it in your mind and it be the same. I rebuke those lies that are straight from the devil. The devil wants to keep you from worshiping. Why? Because there's freedom that comes in worship. When you defeat Satan and determine that you'll lift up your hands, you'll lift up your voice, it's amazing that freedom comes. See, it's as if we're holding on to something. Put my hands in my pocket, I can keep them on the chair, but if I keep my hands down and closed, it's like I've got something to hold on to. And if you just make a fist and ball your fist up, squeeze it real tight, just go ahead and do it right there where you are. And you just squeeze and you see that the blood kind of change. <laughs> Your hands kind of change colors. They start feeling white. And then all of a sudden release them. You feel the freedom. The empowerment that you It's just like, wow. You know why? When your hands are clenched shut, the blood's not flowing. And then all of a sudden you open your hands up and the blood can begin to flow back through your fingers and flow back through your hands. Oh, God. This is powerful. See, when I open up my hands and I lift up my hands, I'm sacrificing and it's no longer about me. It's no longer about what I can hold down, but it's about God pouring into my life. I can't receive anything with my hands clenched shut. But when I open my hands up, they're wide open to receive whatever God wants to do for me. 
whatever blessing he wants to pour out on my life can now be poured out because my hands are open and lifted to him. Fulfillment and freedom come through your worship. Family, you were designed to worship. You were created in your God's masterpiece, his master creation. Created with a voice. Created with noisemakers. Created with a voice to shout. You were created by very, the very design of who you are. You were created to worship the Lord. And if you don't, I'm sorry to tell you that a rock's going to cry out. And what kind of excuse do you have if a rock hard stone can somehow by God's divine creation cry out and worship to the Lord who in the world are we to not worship his name who am I to not ascribe to not ascribe ascribe the worth and the glory due to his name I got another thought for you I'm sorry to tell you but if you don't really like worship here on earth I really don't think you're going to enjoy heaven very much. Because you see, that's what we're going to do. Isaiah wrote in chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. It says that we just sang, uh, I'm sorry, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up in the train of his robe, the train, it signifies the beauty. When a bride walks down the aisle, the train of her dress is just amazing. And the train of the robe of the king, of the, the father, the Lord sitting on the throne, the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim, and each had six wings, and uh, that with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and one called out to another, and they said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts and the whole earth is full of his glory. John saw something similar when he, he recorded in Revelation chapter 5, verse 13. It says, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. Family, that's you. That's the dog outside barking in the yard. That's the, the mouse peeping in your walls. Lord, I hope not. Uh, that's the bees buzzing around. The leaves of the trees as the wind blows. Every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. If you intend to spend eternity in heaven I might want to suggest to you you better learn to like and find your way to worship. You're created for worship. Worship is no spectator sport. You can't stand back and not participate in the game. It's not a spectator sport. Neither is it about you. But it's about finding freedom and fulfillment in who God wants you to be through your worship. I'm going to pray for you and then I'm actually going to play a song here in a moment that will show a video of actually Isaiah 6 put into the method of a song. Maybe you've never 
heard this conversation before, maybe you've never experienced a relationship with Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity today. I want to give you an opportunity to accept him as your Lord and Savior. And maybe you've not worshiped the way you should have worshiped. I also want to give you an opportunity to ask the Lord to forgive you for that and ask him for a passion and courage to defeat the enemy over your life. Because I'm telling you, if you're not lifting your hands in worship, I would have to to challenge you with the thought that maybe it's because the enemy's putting lies in your mind. Let me pray for you. Father, I love you, Lord. God, I thank you for goodness, grace, and mercy, Lord. I thank you, God, that you created us to worship. Father, I thank you that I can lift up my hands, God, and I can sing a joyful noise to you, Lord. I can shout shouts of victory and shouts of triumph, shouts of joy to you, Father, for your glory fills the earth. God, I thank you for that. I thank you for this time together, Lord. Lord, for every person that's taking the opportunity to watch this service today, God, that's taking this opportunity to listen to this message. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody that's watching, that's listening, that don't know you today, God, that you spoke to them in some way. Holy Spirit, begin to do something in their life. Make them uh, in this moment. They feel you calling them uh, to you, Lord. God, if that's them today, I pray, God, that you touch them. Family, if, if you don't know Jesus today, I want to lead you in a prayer. All you've got to do is repeat this prayer after me. The word says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, you believe that he rose from the dead, he died, he rose from the dead, and he lives forevermore, you can be saved today. And so I want to lead you in a prayer, and then I'm going to close us out in prayer, and we're going to worship together. Father, if you repeat this prayer after me, you want to accept Jesus today. Father, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I've messed up. My life feels empty and I want to be full. Forgive me, Lord. Change my life. Thank you for giving your life for me. And now I give you mine. Make me new. Teach me to follow you. Teach me to worship you. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray that you touch everybody else. Lord, forgive those that have not had a heart of worship those that have not recognized the importance, God, I pray in the name of Jesus that the devil's lies will be rebuked off of their mind. They can lift their hands. There's no humiliation. There's no hindrance, God. They can lift up their hands and worship, Father, because you're worthy. We should ascribe the glory to your name that's due to you. Touch us today, we pray in Jesus' name.